Are big businesses paying their fair share of taxes, or should corporate taxes be higher? That's the question Oregonians may vote on in just a few months. We're talking about Initiative Petition 28, a proposal to levy a 2.5% tax on C-corporations that have sales in Oregon above $25 million. Right now, these companies pay a minimum of $30,000 a year. Sounds like a pretty small tax, doesn't it? 2.5%. But it really could rake in real money. According to the Legislative Revenue Office, IP28 could mean an extra $2.5 billion, with a B, dollars or more per year in new tax money for state coffers. Welcome to Biz 503. I'm Suzanne Stevens, editor at the Portland Business Journal, co-hosting with Rebecca Webb, founder of Portland Radio Project. Today, we'll lead a discussion about the pros and cons of controversial IP28. Now, the coalition sponsoring IP28, called Better Oregon, says the tax hike is needed to pay for schools, health care, and senior services. The local business advocates worry a tax this large would drive investment away from Oregon, jeopardizing jobs and the local economy. According to the IP28 campaign, A Better Oregon, the initiative has gathered more than 100,000 signatures, enough they believe to make the November ballot. In fact, they told me this week they expect to file the signatures any day now, and they do believe that they have enough that will be valid. They're still collecting. They have until July 8th to come up with about 88,000 valid signatures, and it looks like Oregonians will vote on IP28 this fall. And a new poll by OPB shows that most Oregonians believe big corporations don't pay enough tax as it is now. But is IP28 the solution? To help us thrash out perspectives on this proposal, we invited four experts to Biz 503 today. Two of them are distinguished economists, one for IP28, one against, and we're going to hear from them in the next segment. But right now, we're going to meet two community leaders who will tell us about arguments for and against the petition. Sandra McDonough, is with us. She's president and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance. So glad to have you with us, Sandra. Happy to be here. And Chuck Sheketov, executive director and founder of the Oregon Center for Public Policy. Welcome, Chuck. It's great to be here. Your side has brought us IP28. And I think we can all assume that education and health care and taking care of our seniors are valid goals. Why is IP28 and your rationale the right vehicle? Great question. You earlier said, is it the solution? And it's a solution to issues. First and foremost, it's the solution to help build thriving communities. We don't have enough revenue in the state to f- adequately fund education, health care, and services to seniors. You know, the Oregon Business Plan has identified that education is the top priority for economic prosperity, and they're absolutely right. It's very key. Yet our performance in education is, is lacking. We have crowded classrooms. We have poor performance on tests. We have low high school graduation rate. We have a short school year. There's a whole host of things that can really only be solved if there's more money. And IP28 dedicates the money to education, health care, and senior services. It also addresses the other issue, which may have been reflected in the poll you referred to, because I think people have a sense of it. But Oregon has low business taxes. If you look at state and local business taxes as a share of the economy, the Council on State Taxation, which is sort of an outgrowth of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, it's about five or 600 of the largest corporations in America, including some who operate here in Oregon, does an annual study with the accounting firm Ernst & Young, and they show that Oregon has the lowest business taxes in the nation. And over the years, that's bounced between 50th and up maybe to 47th or 48th. But right now, we're, we're the lowest of the states. If this measure passes, Oregon will go up to about middle of the pack. We'll be about 25th as far as business taxes as a share of the economy. What will this do? It'll make so we can hire back thousands of teachers who've been laid off over the years. We can reduce class size. We can extend the school year. And we can help improve graduation rates. We can give seniors the care they need. We can have health care to 
the thousands of Oregon children who today don't have health care. We can do a lot with this. That's why we're supporting it. When you hear the positive, that all sounds great. We all know we need more money for education and things like that. But Sandra, let me ask you, I know the state estimates about a thousand companies would be affected by this and the economy's growing right now. Things are good, but you have real concerns. Uh, the Portland Business uh, Alliance, as well as some other business groups, have real concerns about what this measure would do to economic growth in the state. Can you kind of sum up why you're so concerned about this? Our concern is even bigger than that. Usually when we look at our state budget, we look in two-year segments. This is a $5 billion tax increase, the largest tax increase in Oregon history over the two-year budget cycle. And the proponents say it's on a 1,000 businesses, but in fact, every single business in the state will pay, and 4 million Oregonians, every Oregonian will pay, because this is not a tax on business profits. This is a tax on sales. In fact, I have a copy of the measure with me, and the word sales is in it six different times. There's no mention of the word profits. So what will happen, consumers are very smart. The cost of this tax, this $5 billion increase, will be passed through to the goods and services that Oregonians buy. And they're going to see it in the form of higher electricity rates. They're going to see higher food costs, higher clothing costs, higher costs of medicine for seniors. There's no question that this will be passed through to consumers, and it's a huge number, $5 billion. We don't think Oregonians can afford that. So let me clarify the one thing. So the state is the one that's kind of estimating a 1,000 businesses would be hit by this because they have $25 million or more in sales in Oregon. But you're saying every business would be hit by this? Every business is a consumer. Every business buys electricity. So because of the past It'll cost. be passed through businesses. This is a tax on sales. It is not a tax on profits. The money for sales comes from consumers. And that is where ultimately the dollars will come from. This is all corporations anywhere who have $25 million in sales in Oregon who would be affected, correct? Not yes. Really. Not corporations that specifically are here. But can we talk about some corporations that are here that have $25 million in sales? It's not every company who sells $25 million in Oregon. You have, to be taxable in Oregon, you have to have what is in tax laws called nexus. You have to be connected to the state. So, for instance, Kellogg's, if they don't have any people working here and all they're doing is shipping their goods to all the grocery stores in the state, they don't have nexus. That's, they're not taxed. So, you know, they might sell $25 million worth of goods. So that's why it's absolutely wrong. I'll tell you what would tax every small business. It's the proposals that the Portland Business Alliance and the other opponents to this measure want. They want to have a sales tax. It doesn't say sales tax in this. It says use sales, which is part of the income taxes. We have to apportion sales to Oregon. It's how we calculate what percentage of profits we tax. It's also based on sales, what percentage of their sales are here. That's why the word sales appears there. Just because it appears seven times doesn't make it a sales tax. And if it was, if they added on this tax to the sales price, like just what you do with the sales tax, they'd pay more in taxes because their gross sales would be bigger. It's a tax on sales. And I don't know how you get away from that because that's how you calculate it. And it's actually more impactful. It's worse than a sales tax because it is applied at every point in the process from the manufacturer to the distribution to the end sale. Typically, a sales tax in most states is applied at one point at the point of sale 
sale to the consumer. Plus, there are exemptions in sales tax. They typically would exempt medicine. They would exempt electricity. They would exempt food. The word exemption does not appear in this measure even one time. It's a tax on everything. Nothing is accepted. It's just a misunderstanding of our tax system. The business community says it's going to get added on. It doesn't get added on. A sales tax that they propose gets added on. This is a gross receipts tax. Based on their level of sales, how much are apportioned to org that the first $25 million, it doesn't affect. They're still in the current corporate minimum tax schedule. So I'd love Sandra, show me a product that any of us here or listening can buy where, where the consumer is buying a product and there's four entities which they claim you have. The manufacturer, packager, the distributor, and the retailer are each subject to this tax. And you won't find that. You'll find maybe a retailer like Best Buy, but the goods at Best Buy are not all subject to the tax. They're not just because they sell an LG TV. That doesn't mean you pay LGs paying taxes here. That is a, a fairly widely accepted downside to a gross receipts tax. It is, it is because is it's not. not on every sale in Oregon. And even if it were, you still need to have nexus. The company has to be connected here, well, not just selling here. Fortunately, we have a couple of economists who are going to be coming in just a, a couple a, of minutes to you know go a little bit deeper in the weeds on that. I mean, this is what but the law is. It's what, not really an economic issue. It's, it's the law. Who pays taxes? Would you mind if we turned to the idea of the IP28 itself? One of the questions that's been raised about it is that even though we say this is aimed at improving health care, senior services, and education, is there any provision in IP28 that mandates that those funds actually be spent for that? Isn't that going to end up being up Section to the legislature? Three. Absolutely. Section 3 says all the revenue generated from this act shall be used as mandatory to provide additional funding for public early childhood and kindergarten through 12th grade education, health care, and services for senior citizens. Putting $5 billion into our state general fund and lottery fund budget, that today the bulk of it is spent on education, health care, and seniors. It's hard not to spend it on those things, but this thing dedicates it to well, I think that Chuck is not talking about how the legislative process works. In fact, this is money will go into the general fund and then the legislature decides how to spend it. I was at a meeting not that long ago with a very senior member of the legislature who said if it passes, this legislator would like to set some aside for an emergency fund, maybe bond some transportation funding, already talking differently about how they want to spend the money. In fact, what this is is a blank check to the legislature to spend the money the way they want. It's not in the Constitution. They can change it. If the point is to improve education in this state, we absolutely agree that we should be addressing our education system, but this is a bad idea. You can't get away from that. You're not going to solve a problem. Even if it's a good outcome you want, a bad idea doesn't get you there. So absolutely happy to have the conversation. I've been at the table several times trying to have that conversation, but this is a bad idea and Oregonians can't afford it. When you look at the issues around education, something big needs to happen. I mean, I think most people agree. So I am kind of curious, you know, who's going to be most hurt by this? Do you really feel like companies will not come here? I don't know if Chuck is being uninformed or disingenuous about this, but where do businesses get money from sales? It comes from the consumers who are buying products. That is absolutely clear. That is the source of the money. These costs will be passed through to consumers. So who's going to get hurt? The people who 
whose electricity rates will go up 5%, and the small businesses, the people who buy clothes, the seniors who buy medicine that's going to be more expensive, your insurance is going to get more expensive. This is a tax on consumers. It may be collected through the businesses, but it's a tax on sales to consumers. I think there is concern about the pass-through impact that this could have, but we've talked to folks who are in favor of this who don't believe there will be a huge pass-through cost on this, that a lot of these large corporations can absorb this cost. I'm just kind of curious, what would you say to Sanders' comment that this will ultimately hurt some of our most vulnerable residents? They haven't come up with an alternative to this, and the only alternatives they've ever put on the table are at the same level of money, and it's been sales taxes, so which definitely hit the poor because it's because it is tacked on to every sale. My organization cares primarily about low and middle income Oregonians. That's why we're supporting this because this is going to fund the education they need. It's going to fund the health care. It's going to fund the senior services. If you care about low income people, you will support this. On the utility issue, I, my office has contacted the Citizens Utility Board who fight day in and day out for lower utility rates and fair utility rates. They're not concerned about it. The amount of taxes will go into into the rate making math and and we'll see what gets paid. You know, years ago PGE was came out. They were putting taxes into the math for rates, but they weren't paying any taxes. They had phantom taxes. We're not concerned because it's not that they're going to eat the cost. That's a really mischaracterization. What's going to happen is for national retailers, it's going to get spread around, just like our higher minimum wage or our our relatively high unionization in the food industry relative to maybe Alabama or Mississippi. It gets put into the cost of doing business nationwide. When you go to Best Buy, Best Buy probably sells more than $25 million worth of goods in Oregon. They clearly have a presence here in Nexus. They'll be under this tax. But the items they sell aren't necessarily, and they're not going to raise the price on an item when you can go online, order it, have it delivered to the store or to your home. So it just won't happen on those things. I appreciate that Chuck just admitted that the cost of this will go into the Portland General and Pacific Powers calculation of the rates. Those costs will be passed through to ratepayers, and it will have an impact. And if you think that customers going to a Safeway in Alaska pay a different price for what they pay than Oregonians pay for the same goods, the costs are reflected. There are regional differences, and these costs will get passed through. Those vulnerable families who he says he is trying to protect here will actually be impacted by this. So, Chuck, I did want to ask you, the software companies are nervous about this, and this is kind of a nuance. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts to this and a lot of different organizations and groups. So we've talked to, you know, plenty of growing software companies that are very concerned that this is going to be a tax on sales and not on profits, because you can be losing money and still be having successful sales, you know, in double digits, closing in on 25 million or maybe even surpassing it. And they're very concerned about how this would stunt their growth. And I was just talking to our tech reporter before coming over here. And, you know, there are companies that are saying, you know, we call centers, things like that. We will keep our footprint here, but the engineering, the R&D jobs, the ones that we really want, we might consider moving elsewhere. So I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. You know, they said it all in the past when we did measure 66 and 67, and they've blossomed since then. So that's first. Second, with, with software and services, the minimum tax today is calculated based on sales. It caps at 100,000. Fred, 100 million of sales, it caps at 100,000. So it can be a $10 billion business in Oregon. You're paying 100,000 if you're, if you're able to keep your profits out of, out of the equation. And so, but the software industry today has a problem with the apportionment of to whether they have profits or sales, what we consider a sale in Oregon. And it was identified in a 2012 report by the Legislative Revenue Office that the Oregon Business Association was an advisory group to. The 13 legislature didn't do anything about it. The 15 legislature didn't do anything about it. And the 16 legislature 
Phil Barnhart wanted to fix the problem. It has to do with when you sell service, what state does it get allocated to? And the high-tech industry said, no, we want to leave the problem so it's a wart on IP28. They could have fixed it. So that's a problem for them today, and they got poorly represented by their lobbyists in Salem and the business community who weren't willing to fix that for them today of how you calculate what's a sale. And I'd like to respond just quickly. You don't fix a really bad idea. You say no to a really bad idea and have a different conversation at a different time. This is a bad idea. It can't be fixed. Folks, you're just getting a taste. This debate is just getting started. And there are some pretty dire predictions about how fired up both sides are going to get. You can hear that IP28 raises a lot of questions and passion about the economic fallout of hiking corporate taxes. And to help us understand what could happen, we're going to talk to two economists, one on each side. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Suzanne Stevens here with Rebecca Webb. Today our topic is a tax proposal that has a good chance of landing on the November ballot, Initiative Petition 28. In short, IP28 would add an additional tax on many big corporations who do business in Oregon. We welcome now two economic experts to break down the potential impact IP28 would have if it passes. So welcome Eric Fruits, Chief Economist at Economics International Corps and Adjunct Professor of Economics at Portland State University. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And also Robin Hanel, a professor emeritus of economics from American University in Washington, D.C., research associate at Portland State University and visiting professor at Lewis and Clark College. Robin, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thanks. Great to have you. So, Eric, let me start with you. You heard the discussion earlier. I'm sure listeners are anxious to hear from economists, people who can look at this through the numbers lens and the data lens and maybe put the emotion a little bit aside. Is this a good idea? Well, I think just backing up, looking at the the amount that's being raised, we're looking at about $2.65 billion a year. That's a lot of money, billion with a B. And if you look at that, I heard Chuck Sheketoff, you know, kind of saying that somehow or another this money's not really coming from businesses and and it's just going to magically appear. You know, you have to remember this $2.65 billion a year is coming from somewhere and it's going to come indirectly, ultimately from consumers. Everyone's going to be paying and families are going to be paying hundreds of dollars a year more in goods and services to support this additional $2.65 $65 billion a year. It has to come from somewhere. So we're going to see that in higher food prices, higher medicine prices, higher insurance prices. Pretty much anything you do from the second you wake up until the second you go to bed is going to be touched by this. Nonprofit radio stations, schools, they're going to be affected too because they're going to face higher prices. So this is something that's going to reach deep into the economy and hit everyone. Dr. Hanel, do you agree that, that we simply have to accept the fact that there are going to be these pass-through costs? I think that's mostly a diversion from the big issue. The big issue is is, does the state of Oregon need significantly more tax revenues? And I think a majority of Oregonians understand that we do. When we look at our education system and compare it to other states, we are terribly underfunded, and we have been for a very long time. And I think that there's pretty general agreement on that. We've made national news for our short school years and our crowded classrooms. There's no question about that. So, but so I'm concerned, no, but, and, I, and I want to get you to address, isn't somebody, and, and wouldn't lower-income people who have fewer resources be hit hardest with these pass-through costs? No. And 
if they were, the groups opposing the measure wouldn't be opposing. And you heard Chuck say, look, I represent the interests of those people. And as somebody who does so, I'm saying this is the way to raise the revenue that's needed for the state, for education in the state, and to do this in the most fair way. Corporations pay less taxes in state of Oregon than arguably any other state. So we need more revenue. If there's an agreement on that, and I think the electorate understands that, and the electorate seems to understand that corporations are paying too little. They're not paying their share. This measure basically is the best way to rectify both of the big problems in the tax system in the state of Oregon. We're not collecting enough revenue. That's why our education is suffering. It's not just the children who suffer. If you look as an economist and you say, how is Oregon going to prosper in the new global economy? If you underinvest in your children and in your education system, then you will not fare. So it's not even just a fairness issue. It's an economic productivity issue, thinking ahead into the future, which Oregonians, I think, are sensible enough to do. Eric, I want to get your take on where Oregon stands on taxes. I think it can be confusing to a general audience as to whether we're good for business or not good for business. So are we one of the worst states or do corporations pay a lower amount in taxes in Oregon than they do in other states? Would you agree with that? When you look at Oregon's business climate, it's really a whole package. It's things like the forced unionization. It's things like the high minimum wage. It's stuff like the forced paid time off. You know, there's a lot of things that are out there that make it hard for businesses to expand and hire more employees. If you look at, for example, our corporate tax revenues, why are they declining? Well, we have fewer C corporations now than we did in the 1990s. We have fewer businesses to tax. You know, when you look out here too, you know, one of the things that we think about, again, this is passing through this cost, this $2.65 billion. You have to remember that Oregon has a pretty high cost of living. Our average income is about 10% lower than the national average, but our cost of living is about 30% higher. Groceries are about 15% more than the national average. And so you add on the cost when you start taxing someone like Fred Meyer and Safeway and Albertsons and so forth with this tax, because those are all companies that make more than $25 million a year. These are all things that are going to add to that cost of living. And again, we have those lower incomes. And so there is going to be a fundamental issue of fairness. And quite frankly, we, not just as a state, but we as consumers, we as residents really can't afford a huge increase in taxes. The resources simply are not there. Our listener uh, tends to agree with you. A comment on the talk board says the consumers always end up paying the cost one way or another. Just because it's not a line item on a receipt doesn't mean it's not being paid for. I want to turn to the nature of this tax, though, and ask you, Eric, usually if you have a small tax that's applied to a broad base, you have a pretty good setup because more people are paying a smaller amount. And that's kind of how this tax works, right? Well, it's not because you have this thing called the the laddering or the leveling up where it's taxed at every level of distribution. So if you have something where maybe you have a bunch of C corporations selling to each other, that tax is going to get added on. Other cases, you may not see that laddering. If you have vertically integrated firms where it goes straight from, say, the farm to the store, you're only going to see one level of that tax. And so what it really does is it will encourage vertical integration. It may actually foster the growth of bigger businesses at the expense of smaller and mid-sized businesses. How could a tax that's only on a quarter of 1% of businesses, the largest businesses operating in the state, how could that tax possibly tip the playing field in favor against the smaller businesses? 
This tax is being applied only to very, very large corporations. So the idea that, oh, this is going to discriminate against small businesses in, in, in Oregon, is, is it makes absolutely no sense at all. You know, it sounds like, I mean, just based on this conversation, our conversation in the previous segment, this really comes down to how much of this is going to be passed through. If you believe it's not going to be passed through in any big way, then absolutely I understand what you're saying. Well, think you know? about the pass through. Think about what happens when you wake up in the morning and you go to work. You wake up... You you turn on the lights. The electric company is going to pay that. It, that's going to get built in. It's going to get baked into your electricity rates. You get in your car and you buy gas. You're going to be paying that tax from the gas company, the big gas, the big oil company. Uh, you stop at Starbucks on the way there. Starbucks is going to pay it. You go to work. Your work is going to pay it through electricity. Maybe you work for one of those companies that has more than $25 million a year in sales. You come home. You stop at Fred Meyer on the way. You're going to be paying that. You come home. You turn on the TV. The cable company is going to be paying that. You can go on on and on about, oh, this price is going to go up and that price is going to go up and it's going to be passed on and the consumer ultimately has to pay for everything. Ask yourself, why do the corporations not want this tax? If they could pass it all on, they wouldn't care. The truth of the matter is they will not be able to pass it all on. Will they be able to pass on some of it a little bit? Yes, and they will try and they always try. But they have paid way below their fair share of taxes in Oregon for far too long. They don't want to and they're trying Trying to make everybody believe it's going to, you're going to suffer, not we. I guess the key question is, if this passes, would you then be able to say that they've ne- they're now paying their fair share and we could be done with that conversation? It would certainly move us in the right direction. At what level would you say would be a fair amount where you could say we're done? At this point, I'm very happy with a 26% increase in general revenue for a state that is star for general revenue and whose public education system is coming apart at the seams. We haven't really hit on yet is where the money goes. I mean, it really is. It's written in here that it's going to go to education, but this it's just a law. It's a rule. There's no... It's just a law. But there's no consequence to legislature for not following it. There's no legislature is going to go to jail. No one's going to get fined. There's no consequence for saying, forget it. We're going to... It's a slush fund. This money goes into that account and they can spend it any way they want. And as, you, as you mentioned, you already have legislators who have said they want they want to earmark it for things other than what's written in here and they can do it. There's absolutely no consequence for not following There this are law. a lot of lawmakers though that would absolutely agree that we need to invest in education. The affordability issue is huge. So when you look at providing care to seniors, that that's where that money would go. I'm not saying, you know, they would absolutely make that decision, but it's not like every lawmaker wants a slush fund to oh, kind do. of draw on their they own. They do. When I was working at a job where I got a bonus, right? I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to bring home a bonus. Every single member of my family had an idea in their brain what they were going to spend it on. I say, oh, we're going to spend it on retirement. My kids say we're going to Disneyland. My wife says, oh, we need a new car. That money got spent five times. Jeff Mapes, in his analysis of a recent OPB poll, suggested that it's easy to tax someone else, someone out there, someone who seems like the boogeyman, you know, the big bad corporations. And I think there's something to that because we're in a climate where large corporations are constantly being discovered to have hidden their money in another country to avoid paying taxes on it and things like that. So how much of a role do you think the impression of a corporation as opposed to citizens is going to play a factor. The question is, who is a big, bad corporation, right? Is Fred Meyer a big, bad corporation? They're owned by Kroger. But most people think of Fred Meyer as essentially a local Northwest business. Because that's where it's actually it out of Cincinnati, right? Right. And people love Trader Joe's. I mean, Trader Joe's can do no wrong. It's a privately owned German corporation. Most people don't know that. Are they a big, bad corporation? Costco, people love Costco. And Costco can do no wrong. But it's an out-of-state corporation. Is there something so wrong or so evil about where a company is located? I, to me, it just... 
it's mind-blowing that somehow or another you're a better company if you're located in Oregon than if you're not located in Oregon. I don't think the question is location. The question is whether or not it is true or not true that corporations have done a brilliant job of avoiding paying taxes in a whole host of ways. Larger corporations have tended to do a better job of that. They have more avenues for how it is they're going to avoid paying. The general public, I think, is perfectly correct in their perception, their overall perception that corporations have managed to weasel out of paying their fair share. And IP28 is aimed directly at doing something significant to bring us back to a more reasonable situation in the state of Oregon. Quickly, before we get to moving toward our next segment, I'd like to take advantage of your expertise as economists to help us understand what kind of tax this is. It is a gross receipts tax, but that's been referred to as a, a hidden sales tax. What do you think about that, Dr. Hennell? This is actually sort of a difficult issue because it's not a sales tax. It's not a general gross receipts tax. It's actually a rather innovative tax. It would be difficult to find another example of where a tax just like this has actually been applied. So that's part of the reason that the discussion is very confusing. Part of the reason it's applied on gross receipts is because corporations are very good at hiding their profits. So are there no models that we can look to for how a tax like this works? This one, there's really nothing like this. And it's really kind of bizarre. I'm an economic consultant. I have my own firm. It's just me. I'm an S-corporation. I would not be subject to this tax. But if someone is doing the same work for the same amount of money and they belong to maybe one of the, you know, a, a corporation, they would be subject to that tax. Same work, exact same product that we're selling. I don't pay the tax that other person does. You look at your groceries, Fred Meyer would be subject to the tax. There's a very good chance Trader Joe's wouldn't. There's a fundamental issue of equity, it seems, that the only thing that determines whether you pay the tax or not is, A, how big you are in terms of just sales, and then how you're structured. If you're not a C corporation, all you have to do is change that piece of paper that says what kind of corporation you are, and you've dodged the tax. Now, and you are dodging it, and I'm not saying dodging's bad, but it seems like it's pretty easy to dodge the tax if you want to just by changing a piece of paper. That does bring up how this tax might be be inequitably applied sector by sector, because sectors of the economy, like grocery, which you brought up, have a pretty low profit Well, the other thing, too, is that this tax applies whether you make money or not. You can have a business that's losing money, that's, you know, getting ready to file bankruptcy, and they still have to pay it. And one of the things that's more fair about a standard vanilla corporate income tax is if you're losing money, then you don't actually have that additional tax bill hanging over your head. Shouldn't there be something in it that makes it more equitably applied? The reason that it's applied to C-Corps only is that through a referendum, you can only change an existing tax statute. So it would open up the entire Pandora's box of tax reform in Oregon, a road we've gone down that has led to the very bad outcome we are suffering from. That is the reason. Yes, is it somehow unfair that an equally large and profitable S-Corp is exempted from this? Yes. Are there lots of cases of that? hard to find, and there's really nothing that can be done about it. So that's a question of, are we going to let the perfect get in the way of the good and end up with nothing? And and that's what that discussion leads to. And that's why people should sort of understand that this is the best we can do through a referendum. And if the legislature had managed to do what it needed to do up until now, we wouldn't be in this position, would we? I do want to talk just when you look historically at economies and, and how they evolve and how they progress. I mean, we're in a pretty good place in Oregon right now. We're creating a lot of jobs. In Portland. In Portland, right. In Portland, not in Oregon. If you look outside of Portland, 
the rest of the state looks pretty bad. I'll stick with Portland, but I think generally speaking, the economy is in a lot of places on an upward. It might be slow, it might be a slog, but it is improving. It's not hard to be better than 2009. Right, exactly. <laughs> so my question is, there's broad agreement, as Rebecca said, that we need more revenue to fund services here. Isn't now the best time to do that? You know, when the economy is growing, when it is robust. I mean, there's a lot of fear that this will stunt economic growth, but isn't this the time that you would make a change like I think it? it is the time and the idea that these corporations are going to leave and take their jobs. This isn't going to happen. You really think that Amazon, you know, and Walmart are going to leave Oregon? Of course they're not. They're just going to pay their fair share of taxes well, and finally. The, the problem we, we have right now is we're seeing in a world where things look pretty good, but what are you going to do when the next recession hits? You know, you think that we have a pretty volatile revenue system now. This is just going to put that on meth because when the economy turns down again, and it will, it has to, we're going to be stuck because we're going to be addicted to all this money flowing in from IP28 and all of a sudden it's going to dry up when the economy stinks. And then what are we going to do? Are we going to do an IP28 part two? A lot at stake and a lot of angles to study. So we asked Sandra McDonough of the Portland Business Alliance and Chuck Shakatov with Oregon Center for Public Policy to listen in to your comments during that segment. And then we're going to bring them back in the next segment and have them react to what you said right after this. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Webb with Portland Radio Project, co-hosting Biz 503 today with Suzanne Stevens, editor of the Portland Business Journal. Today, we're leading a discussion on the pros and cons of controversial initiative petition 28, which would levy an extra 2.5% tax on C-Cores with sales above $25 million. Oregonians who are already familiar with IP28 do not agree. Will it harm the economy or help fund schools and valuable social services? In our final segment, economists Eric Fruits and Robin Hanel are staying with us, and we're bringing back Sandra McDonough, President and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, and Chuck Shekatov, Executive Director of the Oregon Center for Public Policy. Welcome back. Glad you're here. Just before we left, Dr. Hanel made a, an interesting comment, seeming to acknowledge some of the weaknesses of IP28, but saying we shouldn't let the perfect get in the way of the good. We've been suffering in Oregon, our social services and our schools have since the mid-90s with property tax limitation. And and I'm just wondering, is this the best that we can do right now? It's the only thing on the table. It's it's not meant to be tax reform and making us have a perfect tax system based on the existing system. So I heard Eric complain that he as an S-Corp doesn't pay taxes that a competitor who is a C-Corp would pay, and that makes it unfair. That's our current law, who's covered by our corporate minimum tax. S-Corps just pay 150 bucks. They don't pay the corporate minimum tax. So it's following. But, you know, is it the perfect? No, it's not meant to be the perfect. It's the perfect solution for raising adequate resources to adequately fund schools, education, healthcare, and senior services. And the thing is, you know, 90% of what the legislature does is fix old laws. When you have unintended consequences or times change. If there's one thing the Oregon legislature knows how to do really well, it's do a tax cut for large corporations. And if there's any problems in this affecting a certain industry or business, they know how to do it because a fix is a tax cut. Our concern, of course, is whether they'll preserve the adequate revenue that Oregonians want to go into these three areas and whether they'll 
give it to corporations who deserve it, or will it be the corporations who claim they need it, like the opponents of 66 and 67 years ago, and it didn't throw them off. What do you say, Sandra? I don't think this is a question between perfect or good. This is a bad idea. It is a five billion dollar tax increase. There's a huge amount of money that will be passed on to Oregon consumers and our state simply can't afford this. If the property tax system is broken, then let's sit down and talk about the property tax system. You don't come in with a mega tax increase, the largest in the state's history. It's a 30% increase in the state general fund. I would challenge Chuck to tell me one other state that has ever increased its general fund by 30% all at once. No other state did what we did with Measure 66 and 67. You know, our slogan used to be, things look different here, and they do. It's Oregonians who want to have a better education system, who don't like the time. You know, our, our business climate isn't affected by taxes. Eric's right, but he's wrong about all the other factors. If you want the high-tech industry to flourish here, they need good schools for their kids and for the engineers they want to hire. And so it's features like that. You know, our business climate was hurt when we were on the front pages of the New York Times with, with a shortened school year, and we were in Doonesbury for more than a week mocking our education system, that hurt our business climate. We need good public services, education, health care, senior services, and the like. And I also, you know, this idea that the money's not going to go to these, I will bet you today, and I don't even know how much it is, Sandra McDonough's salary, that the 2017-2019 budget will exceed $5 billion for education, health care, and senior services. The money will go there. It will go there. You cannot not spend it. Well, let me ask check a question. What is the plan for how this money will be spent? Show me. Do you have that on paper? Can you lift up a piece of paper and show me the plans that have been made for how this will be spent? For the so, record, for the listening audience, he's not showing me no, anything. Well, because, you know, the legislature is not allowed to appropriate money for future legislation. But you, you have proposed it's go it. To those, no, you it's, have it's proposed it. If you have proposed it, do you have a plan? It's, and that's what you're taking to the legislature and say, here is our plan for specifically how this money will be spent. The, the you don't have The measure says fund early childhood education and K-12. It says fund for senior services and education. When we get to the legislature, what am I going to ask for? I'm going to say, hey, now's your opportunity to really deal with the problem that we have business cycles and you can't repeal those. And let's now take some of that other money that we have, your existing money, and build up our rainy day fund so we can address a downturn. That would be existing money that's already going to education that you would divert to other purposes. I want a better rainy day 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 fund. this money's going to go to these three. This is what we're concerned about. It is there. It's not specific about what they want to do. It is five billion dollars more to the state with no specific plans, and the legislature can do what they want when they, it gets and, there. And we should say, I I would like to say that even AFL CIO former head Tim Nesbitt, who's on your team, acknowledged I mean, I mean, that this I don't is going to be on my team. Not on my he, team. He is a pro IP twenty eight guy. I don't know if that's true. Well, he is. <laughs> Here's an interesting and the point. point is that he even acknowledges this is an opportunity for the legislature, you know, to face up to some charges that he calls them bills coming due, like PERS. Go ahead. Well, Rebecca, Chuck raises a good point, and Sandra raises a good point. No one in this room, in this studio, knows how that money is going to be spent because none of us are legislators. And that's the thing. Chuck can make promises about how it's going to be spent. Sandra can make promises. You can make promises. I can make promises. None of us know because we don't know what's going to happen once that slush fund hits the state. But that's an argument that would you could use against any tax increase. Exactly. Any tax increase. That's so that, right. I just, that just doesn't hold water. We either need more revenues or we don't. 
And what you're basically saying is, well, since I don't know for sure exactly how they would be spent, then I don't want to have more revenues. And I certainly don't want to have them if I have to pay for them, is no, what somebody is saying. What we're saying is that this is a bad idea. It's a $5 billion increase that will create costs that will be passed to Oregon consumers. We'll have higher electricity costs, higher clothing costs, higher food costs, higher insurance costs, and we're saying Oregonians can't afford it. Well, let me ask you this, though, Sandra. The supporters of IP28 are acknowledging it's you never know where the money is going to go. So then you would do nothing if, if that's going to stop you from doing anything. So I know from talking to you, I know from talking to plenty of executives and economic development folks that CEOs all the time, when they're considering bringing their businesses here, they ask about the education system. They're concerned about what they read about that. So what are the business alliances and the business groups proposing? I realize you think this is a bad idea, but the economy is in good shape. Jobs are growing, you know? I mean, so shouldn't we be doing something now to address these shortcomings that we all agree are there? We have indicated many, many times we're more than happy to have this conversation. I was personally part of a work group that included union and business representatives. We spent a lot of time on this. We're happy to have the conversation once this proposal goes away. If it's a good idea, we'll support it. We have a history of supporting great what, ideas. What would be, uh, what are some of the things you that know, do sound like a good idea? What we need to talk about right now is the proposal that is on the table. It is a bad idea. We want to see is for this proposal to go away, and then we will have a conversation. This is the idea they came up with. We have a long history of endorsing many, many tax ideas when they're good ones. Are you hearing from specific Oregon-based companies who are going to be subject to this tax? We are hearing from virtually every business we know, whether they're directly subject or indirectly subject. I have a member who has a small general contracting firm. It's definitely not $25 million in revenue, and I don't even think she's a C corporation. She's expecting that the cost of her supplies, the cost of windows that she might buy from a Oregon window manufacturer is going to go up. Other supplies that she buys will go up. Her electricity costs will go up. She says this will impact her. And they're a small Portland business based over in the central east side. So to say that this is just the thousand companies that they estimate is just flat out wrong. We're hearing from all kinds of businesses. You know, in 2009 and early 2010, when we voted on measures 66 and 67, one of the poster children against it was Gresham Ford. And Gresham Ford said, you know, we're a good community group. We do all this volunteer work. And we give $100 to everybody, to a charity of your choice when you buy a car. We give 10% up to $100 on sales of parts and services. And we won't be able to do that. Well, you know what? I checked this morning. They're still doing it. And you can go to our website. You'll see why I don't even think they were subject to the new tax. Their numbers didn't add up. I just think the, these businesses, they're just not telling the truth. Associated Oregon Industries, the last campaign, had a big article in their magazine about a Ethiopian restaurant in southeast Portland that was going to be subject to the tax. I called up the guy. He wasn't a C-Corp. He wasn't subject to it. He liked paying taxes, and they stole the article out of a local newspaper and didn't have his permission. They don't have people, you know, show us the books that you're really going to pay this and that your suppliers are really going to pay it. They still can't provide me the name of a product I buy in the four companies, the manufacturer, the packager, the distributor, and the retailer that I'm going to buy that are going to be subject to this tax who have the the nexus, the connection to Oregon. As a former newspaper reporter, I'm kind of stuck on the notion of stealing a story that's been published in the newspaper, but... AOI did it. Well, (laughs) but once it's published in the newspaper, it's in the general domain. But what we're concerned about is 
again, this is a tax that is $5 billion, and, and Chuck seems stuck on 66 and 67, which was one-fifth of this. This is a huge tax that is a tax on sales with no limit on what a company could end up paying, and these are costs that are going to be passed through to consumers, and we are just very concerned about it. I know folks who have very limited income or families. This is really going to impact families. It's going to cost Oregon families hundreds of dollars a year. I don't know where they think this money is going to come from. It doesn't just suddenly appear. Consumers generate the dollars that go to the businesses that will pay. So we did a story on this a couple of months ago as the initiatives uh, were heating up. And there are a lot of ballot measures out there, obviously, that people will be considering coming up. But we did talk to Mark Hass, Oregon representative, about his thoughts on this and whether there might be some kind of common ground. You know, is there some middle ground to be found on this? And I'm just wondering with just even the debate that's going on in this room right now and the amount of money that's going to be thrown at this campaign on both sides, whether there is going to be an opportunity for kind of common ground and debate to find something that maybe is amenable to everybody. Time for that is basically passed. If reasonable people had sat down and solved the problem at any point over the past 10, 20, 15 years, then we wouldn't be in a position where we have to do it through a referendum. But there hasn't been a willingness for people to say, yes, we're going to have to talk about paying our fair share. That willingness has not been demonstrated in the past. And now what you're seeing is, oh, we're willing to talk now, just don't pass this. People should understand this is the measure that will solve the two outstanding problems as best they can be solved in the foreseeable future. And if you don't take the opportunity to vote through this now, then we will be right back to where we have been for a long, long time, which is not a solution to Oregon's tax problems. It's exactly the opposite. This will get us more revenue that is desperately needed, and it will get it from corporations that are well able to pay it with minimal consequences for anybody else. Quick question, though. Has the moment truly passed? I'm wondering if, even if this is on the ballot, as it appears it will be, and it is approved, can the legislature not address some of its weaknesses? Well, you don't fix... Perceived weaknesses? You don't fix a bad bill. You just don't fix a bad idea that's been passed by the legislature. You you reject a bad idea and have a different conversation. And I have to say, Chuck, I'm not really sure who you represent. And Robin, I've not seen you. I've sat at many tables across from many, many union representatives. We've worked through thorny problems. We had many discussions about tax policy, actually very recently. So we're happy to have that conversation. But if it's going to be a real conversation, fair and even-sided, then this has to go away. So what we first want to see is this bad idea rejected by voters. Oregonians are very smart. Once they learn more about this, they understand what it really does, they're going to say no. I'd like to address the question, and I'm going to remember her line that you don't fix a bad idea when they when this passes and they come in and try to change it. And I'll say, don't listen to her. You don't fix a bad idea. But, you know, John Kitzhaber had months and months of meetings. I wasn't a privy to it. There was, it was labor and business people, not all labor, labor and business people. And they worked and worked, and they didn't reach agreement. Why? Because the business community kept pushing for a sales tax. And that that's why. That's the only proposal that could bring in enough money that they've ever pushed. And a sales tax will hit every single consumer. And Oregonians no have repeatedly turned that, that down. That's right. But that's been the only alternative. that. Went. So she wouldn't give you a specific. I'd like to just jump in because 
the difference between Chuck and me is that I was in those meetings and he's mischaracterizing what the discussions were. I want to give the listener the last word and I'm going to ask Robin Hanel and Eric Fruits to quickly give me a response. But the listener on our talk board said, why is it that we specialize in proposing taxes that are unlike any others? What do you think? In Oregon, we believe in being creative. We've actually come up with a creative solution to a stalemate. We're not passing sales taxes. Frankly, I think that's good. We have done something with property taxes, which I think is bad, but we've done it. And we've landed in a situation where we don't have enough revenue, and we have to come up with the most fair way we can possibly generate significant amounts of revenue in the, in the coming future. Or else we will become a place where our children are not fit to prosper productively in the new global economy. Eric, your short take on why we're so creative here. States are the laboratories of democracy and Oregon is populated with mad scientists. <laughs> Okay, that seems like a good place to end it right there. I want to thank all of our guests today, Sandra McDonough, Chuck Sheketoff, Eric Fruits, and Robin Hanel. Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. <laughs>